welcome back. Welcome to me and me, us. <laughs> welcome back to us. Can you believe it? We're back. I can't believe, and we're that. never going away. So get used to it. Oh my god. <laughs> Welcome to Poetry. Is that how we do it? What is the rest of it? Oh, right. Um, welcome to Poetry, the podcast where we try to understand poetry. I'm Yuki. She's Koya. Let's do it. Hi, Yuki. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> You know what this is, by what? the way? This will be the first episode that we record for the second season. Yeah. Oh, so we should say something about that. Perhaps we should acknowledge it in some way. Yeah. Maybe by saying, hi. Welcome, Welcome to season back. two. Welcome to season two of this podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Like that. I like it. Anyway, nothing has changed for us because we haven't actually stopped recording there's been no break at all between the first and second season so who even knows i don't know when this is going to come out they'll know because they've been yearning pining for Mm. season two to come out they've just been rocking back and forth yeah well did you quite did you ever think we'd have a season two i didn't think we would have a season one well i'm glad i'm glad we made it here the audio cut out right after I said that so no one will be able to hear that you laughed when I said that so I did mm. want to just say that you did laugh and I did see it happen so everyone knows that I you're gonna cut all funny. of that out later so <laughs> I was going in for sure you could just clip in a different laugh from a different part of the conversation okay, do, do a laugh right now so I can edit no it. Uh, are there any changes that you want to make for season two um what would I want to change absolutely nothing we're perfect yeah. exactly as we are. I think so too. Yeah. I really like your suggestion of not muting myself so that we have some crosstalk. Oh yeah. yeah. I love some crosstalk. Yeah. It's like, what did they say? Yeah. I don't know. I'll never know. It's not for me to know. I like, I I like hearing me soup. chuckle at your jokes. What? Soup. I'm sorry. No, I like hearing you chuckle at my jokes too. I have this bowl of soup right in front of me. I know it will be rude to eat while I'm recording a podcast. It won't be rude. I'm just worried that people will hear you slurping. Why don't you just eat your soup first? No, we got to get a move on. All right. Do you want to do the welcome to season two thing? Ooh, or does it we good? just did it. Is it good? Okay. I wasn't sure if we were practicing it. Oh, now that was we perfect. To do the real one. Okay. <laughs> we nailed it the first time. Okay. No notes. <laughs> Where do we start? You're in luck because today we are reading not one poem, but two both by Emily Dickinson. The first, called Had I Not Seen the Sun, was a Koya selection. Thanks, Flavio. Fun fact, a lot of Dickinson's poems weren't titled, but they later had titles given to them, uh, taken from the first line or a significant line in the poem. The second poem we're reading today is called To Make a Prairie, and this selection came to us by way of a listener and my very good friend, the lovely and inimitable Serena Mathai. 
Uh, we do love getting recommendations for listeners, so keep sending them in. All right, let's read. So Emily Dickinson is a name that I recognized, but as I'm sure will be a surprise to absolutely no one, I didn't really know anything concrete about her. I pictured this wafy white lady with a bun and inexplicably in black and white like an Adams Family character. Uh, I also remembered reading somewhere that her poems could be sung to the tune of the Gilligan's Island theme song. Uh, So I texted a few friends to ask what came up for them when they heard the name Emily Dickinson. And here are some of their responses. High school English class. So some version of this came up a fair amount, but was generally followed by, uh, I don't remember what we read. Was she the depressed one? Or am I confusing her with Sylvia Plath? Is she the one who wrote Little Women? Moody, sad vibes. Passion and loneliness brevity, and thoughtfulness. I'm always unsure how her name was spelled. It's D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. I think of representations I've seen of her in film, like Cynthia Nixon in A Quiet Passion and Molly Shannon in Wild Nights with Emily. The TV show called Dickinson. A desire to be reading outside on a fall day. I got a hardcover version of her poetry when I was a little girl. I think it had flowers on the cover, and I don't think I ever read it. I think something about it felt dissonant, something related to my gender, even though I didn't yet know that I was queer. The line, there is no frigate like a book. The line, I heard a fly buzz when I died. The lines, I never saw a moor, I never saw the sea, yet know I how the heather looks and what a wave must be. My takeaway from polling this admittedly small sample size of friends was that she firmly exists in an average American consciousness, right? Nobody responded with, who? I never heard of her. And even if people didn't know a ton of concrete facts about her poetry or her life, they certainly had a sense of who she was. Emily Dickinson's poetry is often noted for her unusual use of punctuation, syntax, and spelling. She was well-educated in the sciences. She was an avid gardener and botanist, and these interests come through in her work. She was raised in a devout Calvinist family, though she never converted, and she often explores themes of religion and morality in her work. She also often deals with the topic of death and morbidity, perhaps because she suffered the untimely deaths of many close family members and friends, perhaps because of the backdrop of the American Civil War, or perhaps because she herself suffered from various illnesses throughout her life. She's often described as a recluse because she seemed to dislike the socializing rituals required of women in that time. But for someone born in 1830 and not in the public eye, historians actually know a lot about her life because she was such a prolific writer of poetry and letters to family, friends, and other contemporary writers. She wrote nearly 1,800 poems, And though only 10 were formally published during her lifetime, many of her poems were circulated among her friends and literary circle through her letters. The rest of her poems were discovered and published after her death in 1886 at the age of 55. Today, she is regarded as one of the most influential of American poets. So 
Had I Not Seen the Sun by Emily Dickinson Had I not seen the sun, I could have borne the shade, but light a newer wilderness my wilderness has made. Okay, so let's get down to business. Let's get down to business. To defeat the Huns. Yeah. Maybe I should start by giving you my Emily Dickinson thoughts. Yeah. Because I have very few. A lot of them are reflected in the responses that you read already. Mm -hmm. Like, um, depressed lady, wafy, with a bun. (laughs) All of that kind of stuff. One of the main things I remember about her is that her poems were not discovered until after she died. And so there's that, you know, posthumous celebration of her life that, um, Mm. you know, like a lot of artists don't get when they're alive. Yeah. And I also think of now, I saw a couple of episodes of Dickinson that it's a show on a network that I won't advertise, a streaming platform. And I didn't like it. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought it was strange. They made her very rebellious and you know i mean it was supposed to be like oh i'm not like other girls of my time and that actually isn't really the impression i don't know any i here's the thing i don't really know enough about emily dickinson's life to know how true that is except i do know because i looked it up after i saw that and i was like this seems like a weird depiction of her well rebellious uh, in what way i mean it's it's like kind of that stock period piece character where they're just like cross stitching I'd rather be climbing trees or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. Uh, it's just, to me, it, it seemed a little weird if that's like not what her personality was like. I was like, why not just make a new TV show about someone like someone I, else, I like a fictional yeah. character. Yeah. And I also recall it because, um, so I know that in, in her poems, she writes a lot about death in her poetry. That's probably the main uh, association I have with Emily Dickinson mm-hmm. is writing a lot about death. And in the TV series, they they tried to, or they um, personified death so that they could kind of like weave her poems throughout and have her kind of talking to death as a character in the show. Mm. And death was played by Wiz Khalifa. And I thought that was a weird choice because I was just like watching this show set in like, you know, mid 19th century, you know, New England. And then it was just like, and here's Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. He's just but... out there trying to get his acting career on track. Look. And, and I love that for him. But for me, I didn't love it. It was hard. I, I was just like, I don't really know. I mean, it was an, it was certainly an interesting choice, you know. And, and um, it's probably better to be interesting than uninteresting. But, like, it was That's not fair. drawing me in. I, I haven't watched any of the episodes, but I read the description as, like, it's like a historical fiction. It's like kind of a comedy take yeah. on Emily Dickinson's life. And I was like, ooh, is this going to be like The Great? Definitely oh, great. yeah. That's kind of what I was expecting. And it wasn't. It wasn't that. I I, I didn't think it was as successful, but I, okay. I, I don't know. I think people watch it. I mean, I guess like the thing is like having Wiz Khalifa is like a good way to like get some black people in a show where they're really. Weren't gonna they weren't going to be in that situation. <laughs> yeah. So that's my that's um. This week on Koya's reviews. Um, did anyway. you have did you have a relationship with Emily Dickinson other than this show? Like, have you read a lot of her poetry? I've read like none of her poetry, and so the person who sent this to me, um, hi Flavio again, is not American, and so um, he 
had he mentioned a couple of times like oh you probably read this you know and mm. I was every single time and I was just like yeah I don't know anything about her <laughs> and I and I do remember reading her in school I I know I remember specifically that we read um, her work when like when we were in high school so I have I I mean it's a little bit of a blank slate other than death and became famous posthumously after she died I didn't know that actually you didn't yeah. Um, oh well i knew something that you didn't know that's you did well that's pretty common it's interesting the the people that i asked there were a couple of them who are not born in the united states and i was really surprised you know like i'm always surprised when people from outside the u.s know things about the u.s and i'm like why 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 do you know that and they're like because we're well educated (laughs) outside the united states like our (laughs) education systems aren't total garbage well i'll give you some some little pre-thoughts about each of these poems so when my friend sent this to me the first one had I not seen the sun he said that it was um maybe a bit depressing mm-hmm. and so I I definitely read that as quite a depressing poem and it's and that was more in line with what I think of when I think of Emily Dickinson um and then I kept rereading it and then I kind of pulled out this like there was another way of reading it that was a little bit more positive that came after like i mean you kind of have to look for it i i do think that like the the dominant sentiment is not necessarily trying to be uplifting hmm. but you can like with a little bit of a shift in perspective you can read it as more uplifting um, i think this is like reflective like we've talked about this before like our pervasive like outlook on the world mm-hmm. <laughs> um because when i read this it was the opposite i i read it as like oh this person's been through some stuff but the place that they're in now they're like okay there's a there's there's opportunity you immediately read it as a positive as a positive thing yeah of course or moving in a positive direction yeah of course of course um well i mean it, it i think part of it for me was like going into her poetry well one because my friend introduced it as like this is a depressing one so you know it's automatically primed <laughs> yeah yeah but then also what i know of her like i right now these are the only two poems of hers that i really know yeah <laughs> um but what i have heard is that it is her poetry is not particularly uplifting um even if it's not especially depressing it's just uplifting is not necessarily how you would describe it and so i felt that that to make a prairie was an interesting one to pair with had i not seen the sun because had i not seen the sun can lead into a more potentially uplifting perspective but to make a prairie is like very decidedly i think uplifting mm-hmm. i want to use another word besides uplifting what's another word well i think it's it's hopeful right it's like thinking yeah. to make a prairie is like imagining what could be um, mm-hmm. in a very hopeful sense um, yeah. and like the part that you know individuals can play in making a brighter future come into fruition mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah can you tell me what you saw in had i not seen the sun that was more positive mm-hmm. yeah so i think you know it kind of starts out in a really dark place you know like if I hadn't seen the sun, if I hadn't been like if somebody hadn't sat me down and explained to me how my life had been horrible, I could have borne the shade. You know, I could have gritted my teeth and like made it through be- and just accepted that this is the way my life is. But now that I know that my life was like not 
in the best of circumstances, I feel a little rueful about it, you know, like, so like, I think that's the part that is negative or like resentful or something. But then the the next couple lines, you know, but light a newer wilderness, my wilderness has made. And I think newer in a sense is also better, you know, because it's like I could have borne it. But now that I know that there's something better, you know, like there's there's a new opportunity and I'm going to um, it sounds like, you know, you're still like in the wilderness, but mm-hmm. it looks a little different. You know, you can kind of navigate it a little bit differently because mm-hmm. the sun's come out and you can see things that you weren't able to see before. So, yeah, I yeah. think it kind of starts in a dark place, like a traumatic place. And then she's like kind of coming out the other side a little bit. Yeah, we read this exactly the opposite. <laughs> exactly that. I mean, of course. I, that's well. Okay, that's well, tell me, walk me through your story. <laughs> I, I, I mean, sometimes we read things differently, but not so differently. <laughs> and it's such a short poem. It's such a short poem. So I read it um, as starting off in a more hopeful place and ending in a less hopeful place. As in, had I not seen this, the sun, I could have worn the shade. Like she could have endured whatever not fully lit perspective that she had. Like whatever whatever it was that was like keeping her um, in the dark, she could have handled it. I mean, she could have she could have continued living her life that way. Had something not come out and shown her you know, everything that was around her had not illuminated her environment in some way. And so I read the first part as being more hopeful, like, oh, now the sun is here. And so she doesn't need to bear the shade anymore because she can, she has, everything has been illuminated now, you know? So to me, that was, that was more hopeful that the sun had come out and, and, and shifted her perspective in some new way and like made her perspective more full because, you know, the sun isn't just, I mean, the sun touches everything. You know, so it's not like it's just like a, a a change in perspective. It's like a more full, like more fully realized perspective. But then, but light a newer wilderness, my wilderness has made. Then I read that as well, having gained this new perspective and being able to see everything all at once, she feels even more alone or even more isolated or even more confused or bewildered because uh, whereas before her, environment was not so brightly lit so she couldn't see you know maybe like what she was missing or she couldn't see something that would be even more confusing and now she can see all of it and it's just like Mm. oh it's like worse than I thought um and so that was how I read it initially um and then I I reread it a few times to get to the way that you read it I still read the first part as more hopeful but then I read it as exactly what you said before that like she's still in wilderness but it's a wilderness that's like more interesting because it's new Mm -hmm. it's not the same kind of whatever it is it's different than what she had been experiencing before and so yeah for me it was exactly the opposite yeah well i i really appreciate that explanation because when you're speaking that that line of had i not seen the sun i could have borne the shade which makes me think like Oh, now that she's seen the sun, I cannot bear the shade. You know, like I just mm-hmm. I can't bear it anymore. Like there's still mm-hmm. shade, you know, like mm-hmm. just because the sun comes out doesn't mean that there isn't shade anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot bear it, mm-hmm. like knowing the situation that I'm in. So yeah, you could read it as like it's very it's more oppressive now 
mm-hmm. knowing what she knows. Yeah, but I didn't. I saw that as being much more freeing. Oh my god! Yeah. So I mean, we're still we still on opposite ends. We we are exactly. We read this poem exactly in the opposite way. I went from more positive at the beginning to less positive, and you went from less positive to more positive because I saw I saw that as as being that she no longer has to bear the shade. She could have borne it, but now she doesn't have to because she has a son. She every oh. every she can see everything now. But the light actually just shined. It actually just shined a light on like a wilderness that is perhaps even more confusing, you know. I mean, the other reason why I think I read it in a more negative sense initially is that wilderness is not, especially for like 19th century New Englanders, wilderness does not have good associations. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's not like uh, the wilderness gave way to a forest or a well-manicured garden or, you know, like something that would have been uh, welcome. To, yeah, welcome to like to her, you know. Right. And um, I don't think Emily Dickinson was a backpacker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I I don't think, um, yeah, I mean, like, this isn't like Thoreau or something, you know, it's not like the the way, I think the, the way that she's using, invoking nature in this poem is a bit scary. It depends on how you use it. But I, I think in this context, it's, 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 it's supposed to be a place that is, um, you know, a little creepy, you never know what's what's going to come around the corner, you know, like that kind of thing. Like what's, what's behind that tree? Who knows? Yeah. So that, that's more what I'm getting. Yeah. I, yeah, that's probably true. I don't think she liked to leave her room. I think I read like after her twenties, she was pretty Mm -hmm. much just like, I'm just going to stay here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, I don't think she was like trying to be out in nature and stuff. Like she's like gardening, you know, it's like there, there's a difference between like, wanting to be in nature in a garden versus being in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. We have opposite perspectives, but I agree with yours. Do, do you have any thoughts on the line, uh, on the last um, two lines, but light a newer wilderness my wilderness has made? I really struggled with this because the grammar is a little funny. So mm-hmm. I was trying to like reconstruct it to be like a more standard sentence. I think it's that my light... Or that light made my wilderness a newer wilderness. Yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah. Yeah. Light has made the wilderness a newer wilderness. Yeah. Yuki, this is the first um, metered poem. This is the first poem we've read that has not been in free verse. Oh, really? On that? Yeah. All of, everything we've read has been in free verse. I think her poems are very fun to read. Because mm-hmm. they've got, well, they've got the Gilligan's Island thing. Okay. I won't sing it. Okay. I won't sing it, but it it's got it's got a rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. I do like it. Yeah. Do you prefer metered poetry to free verse? I think I prefer reading metered poetry out loud because mm. it feels like a song. Okay. Yeah. How about you? I like a f- I the the freer the verse, the freer my heart. Oh. You know. Yeah. But, you know, but I, I aspire, I mean, I really would like to read more, uh, not just metered poetry in, in, in particular, but like, I, I, I don't engage much with anything that is not contemporary. And I would like to, because yeah. there's a lot to be gained from that. This is so, our oldest poet. This is our, yeah, this is, this is so far the oldest poem that we have looked at. And um, even though it is not the kind of poetry I, I would typically read 
it still is like, you know, dealing with the same themes, you know, of, of in poems that yeah. I that I really love. Um, and I always find something, uh, I mean, like I read, when I do read older poems, I mean, it's it's such a simple thing. It's not like, you know, a particularly interesting thought, but I'm always just like, wow, this person had the same feelings as me. Yeah. Or they, they lived so long ago. They were just like me but now they're dead, you know, and I, I have that same thought and it, and it still, it still blows me away every single time because it, you know, there does, you know, you, you get this sense of connection to this person that, you know, like you don't know, and does not live in the same time, would not recognize your life or anything, you know, but like there's mm-hmm. still the connection, which is, I don't know. I don't have anything interesting to say about it. It's just cool. It is. It also makes you wonder, like, you know, if Emily Dickinson had lived in a contemporary time period, feeling the things that are just human and like, you know, normal to feel there's this weighty thing or like I'm feeling depressed or like I went through some kind of trauma and seeing now that it was dark, you know, like if someone went through that experience today, you know, how would that express itself? Or like, like, I wonder... I wonder how she would have fared like mm-hmm. if she hadn't had to live in the constraints of her time, like yeah. the gendered constraints, the like class constraints. Maybe she would have been able to get her poetry published and be less depressed. Yeah. We'll never know. We'll never know. But it, yeah, I mean, it, it is. I think like it's it's heartening to know that people have dealt with similar things and you're not alone. And it is. Yeah. I'm yeah, so I'm like particularly glad to have um, read her poetry because of that. So to refamiliarize myself with her from that perspective, shall we speak on to make a prairie? To make a prairie by Emily Dickinson. To make a prairie, it takes a clover and one bee, one clover and a bee and reverie. The reverie alone will do if bees are few. I love this poem. It's so... I knew you would. So hopeful. It's very Yuki. It's very Yuki. It's just like, you know, you can do it. Like It, just, it takes time and will, but it's going to happen. Oh, I just, I thought it was very Yuki because I can just imagine you in your little red shirt eating honey out of a pot and there's some bees around, you know, and you're in a prairie and, you know, living your best Winnie the Pooh life. This is something that Winnie the Pooh would probably say. It is. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it? Is it, it is. I think so. Yeah. Because he says some profound things. You know, I feel like that's his trademark. He does say profound things. Yeah. yeah. You have a favorite line? There can only be one favorite line, and it is the last two lines. The reverie alone will do if bees are few. What do you think of when you think of reverie? I think of dancing. I'm thinking like str- not exactly streamers, but it's very May Day. It's dancing in a in a field. There, you know, there's there's flowers. You know, like a uh, what do you call it? I don't know what it's called. But I feel like, like you're thinking flowers. of revelry. So, I mean, what's the difference? Isn't reverie like you're like dreaming? 
Is that what reverie is? Like you're in a reverie. Okay, well, I don't like this poem anymore. (laughs) Oh, you're right. I was thinking of revelry. Mm. But I, I will say it's because this it's makes more sense because I was I thought revelry was a was a little uh it was just it was like it was like a big party you know for it's a for mood a, shift like, yeah. yeah it's like this, this is so interesting I've never oh my god I'm so glad you pointed that out I will say though it's because she spelled it R E V E R Y rather than I E which is oh the right spelling. you're right okay yeah. you're totally like you're t- you're so it wasn't entirely your bad. Emily um, Dickinson spelled things a little weird sometimes. I know how to spell. Okay, well that makes <laughs> a lot more sense for me. I mean, can I just interject though? Spelling is a total social construct. Hold on a second, okay? Because it is, but it's very important for you to know that I'm great at spelling. No, I know that you're great at spelling. You're. I don't need to be consoled in this. <laughs> this is the consolation you would tell to someone who is not good at spelling. And I'm phenomenal at it. You're a very good speller. I'm trying to make I you feel good because you are grade. a good speller. I'm trying to say it was not your fault because I know that you are a great speller. She spelled it weird. But I also want to console Emily Dickinson in this moment because spelling is a social construct. You know, okay, this is a fact, fun fact. So, you know, I said that after she died, her uh, her sister, I didn't say this, but her sister found her poetry. And Emily Dickinson was like, I need you uh, after I die to burn all my correspondence, uh, which mm-hmm. her sister did. Uh, but she also found her books of poetry that were like, I- I'm imagining they're like hidden under the floorboards or something. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true. But um, so she found all of her poetry and then her brother's lover and uh, like mistress or something. And this other author, I think he, I can't remember what he was, but he, he was a writer. Anyway, they teamed up and they like totally intensely edited her work. So like, you know, they made things like more accurate spell, not accurate, like more like contemporary spelling conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, they made it might have changed reverie with a Y to reverie with an IE or like, you know, that poem that my that last one i never saw more i never saw the sea yet know i how the heather looks and what a wave must be mm-hmm. if you look for that poem in like the original publication it's totally different because they were like mm-hmm. oh emily that was a good try but i think we could do it better and so mm-hmm. they just like totally rewrote her poetry uh i was looking at something a couple of weeks ago whenever my friends had i not seen this on to me mm-hmm. i was looking at the edited version of her poem versus like how she had actually written it. And it was, yeah. it was quite different. It was, it was a different poem. I don't remember yeah. what it was. Yeah. Totally different poem. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you saying? That it's their oh. fault? That I don't know what revelry is? No. My original point, which I want to go back to defending Emily Dickinson, is that spelling is entirely a social construct. Grammar is a social construct. Like, you know, like, like in the South, we probably grew up saying like, library instead of library I did like it's it's not wrong it's just like it's a different like yeah pronunciation and spelling of the same word yeah but it should be accepted um so I have two thoughts one is that yes and the other is that these things are social constructs but like we need social constructs (laughs) like we need to be on the same page about things, you, you know, like, yes, like there are, there are um, lots of things that are, that we understand that we were taught were wrong, but is actually just like 
you know, like another dialect or something like that. However, when it gets to the point where we are not understanding each other, this is where a social construct like grammar and spelling is really important. For example, with the word reverie spelled with a Y, <laughs> in which, which makes me think of a word that is completely different and completely <laughs> changes the meaning of this poem. And okay, so, uh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm curious now that, you know, it's reverie and not revelry, how you now see the poem. It just makes so much more sense because I was like, is she running around the little Mayday pole? Like, I, I remember, like, the first thing I thought was like, huh, wasn't expecting that from an Emily Dickinson poem. But what do I know? I'm not an Emily Dickinson scholar. Like, who am I to say this doesn't sound like Emily Dickinson? You know, I'm nobody. I'm just going to accept it as it is and not be like, I don't think she would say that because I don't really know. Seems weird to me, but I simply don't have the credentials to say otherwise. <laughs> And now I come to find out that I was completely correct, <laughs> that I had misread the book. Well, I didn't misread it, but I had, I did not know what reverie with a Y was. And so I immediately thought revelry. And now it just, the, the just everything about it makes so much more sense. I mean, truly light a newer wilderness <laughs> my wilderness has made. I mean... <laughs> I was so confused. Now, now it's a little more clear. Um, yeah. well, will you walk me through your sense of the poem now? Since you said it makes more sense. Will you walk me through what your understanding of To Make a Prairie is? Okay. Well, let me just say the other thing too is that like revelry won't make a prairie. Like that was the other thing is I was like, that's not what you like a prairie. I don't think of a prairie as like a, a, a like the a place for celebration. I do think think of it as like a little bit more dreamy a little bit more like a little bit quite it, it, it's like where you go to hear like the sounds of nature a buzzing bee the, the the wind through the grass you know so the way I was reading it is that a prairie con, uh, consists of these physical things these things in nature uh, certain kinds of wildlife certain kinds of grasses or whatever and that, that that's pretty much all you need you know like for like you need you only need the one clover and then that will produce you know over time it'll produce like a much larger prairie or even in that moment you only need the one clover to just to just be with but oh um, i like that yeah I thought yeah, of yeah, that. yeah 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 because because you you like there there's a way in which like um the clover and the bee will re will like replicate you know will reproduce and, and create this vast expanse of space uh or you know if you don't have that and it sounds if she's she she wasn't really getting out much then she needs a smaller prairie <laughs> to be in her room all day or something, you know, a, a prairie does seem like more of a place for contemplation and more of a place for kind of dreamy, like gauzy experiences with nature. And I like the idea of, of a prairie being a place that is, you know, that, that a prairie, that if you don't have the physical place, you can take that feeling that you get when you're in a prairie with you anywhere um, and so for someone like her, who's probably not hanging out in prairies for a lot of time, then, yeah, she can have the prairie with her whenever she wants mm. because she has the reverie, not revelry. The other thing that this makes me think of, that a prairie makes me think of every single time whenever I hear the word prairie, because it's not a word that I came across very much until I moved to the Midwest where there are, you know, prairies are like a big part of the landscape mm. um, and the way people think about nature there. Um, when I moved to Wisconsin, 
you know, people start talking about prairies all the time. I heard the phrase prairie burn. Um, people will use that idiomatically. What like does that mean? Prairie burn. It means that sometimes you need to burn the prairie down, which you do need to do. Sometimes you'll, you'll set like fires so that you can, everything can burn down and then regenerate. You know, it's kind of like they do that with it in other places too, yeah. but it's like, you know, like a controlled burn kind of thing. And um, I've always loved rug burn. Good. Like you went sledding in the prairie. Yeah. And you got prairie burn. Okay. I'm glad you interrupted me to say that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just want to make sure I didn't forget. Oh, no, I'm glad you didn't forget. We <laughs> Don't have cut that, that from the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to. I'm really happy that you said it. <laughs> oh, um, shame. Okay. Okay. So prairies, prairies to me, I always think of, of this cycle of destruction and, and regeneration mm. that happens in a prairie. So I, so I, I, I just like prairie imagery because of that. I don't think that I, I don't see any of that, you know, in this poem, but like, it's just uh, that that's something that, that the word prairie always brings up for me. And I, I, I'm, I particularly like prairie metaphors and prairie imagery because of that. I like a prairie. Do you? I do. What do you like about them so much? I like that they're uh, they're like open, wide open, sunny. I mean, I like shade too. I mean, you know, kind of relating back to the other poem, mm-hmm. but like you know, I, I like both. Um, yeah, I like a prairie. I, like when I think of a prairie, I think of a picnic blanket. Mm-hmm. You know, honey, some really good bread, some cheese, and you're just sitting there. You've got no agenda. You're just trying to enjoy the sounds of the babbling brook. Maybe you, uh, maybe you have like a nice romantic uh, conversation about what? I don't. I don't know. Like what's like what's an example of an of a romantic conversation? I don't know. No, I, I like need to know for like later. <laughs> I don't know. I want to backtrack. No, I, I I think you're on. I think you're on the right track. I just need to. Know, I just need specifics. What's a romantic no, conversation you would have while having a picnic? Uh, maybe you're talking about like how you want to decorate your future house together. Or that is not romantic. That is romantic. You're talking about how you want to <sighs> No, because you're you're imagining a future together with someone. I'm gonna just to defend my romance to you. You're and you're just like, do you like drywall? <laughs> No, it's like, uh, like, okay, if we ever got, like, wh- what would your dream house be like? I would love to have a hammock in my dream house. See, I sound so aggressive right now. We would not have, <laughs> like, what? okay. You're about to say that you would never have a romantic conversation over a picnic with me. I'm about I was to be about really to say upset. That, I'm I, really I upset. I stopped before I would finish the sentence. Before you said that it was couldn't really take hurtful. back. <laughs> wow um but see you knew what i was gonna say i don't know i just don't want to justify i don't want to have to justify what i see as romantic because we're obviously very different people i would not be talking about drywall and like (laughs) lumber (laughs) i wanted tips on how to have a romantic conversation that was it okay here are my tips on how to have a romantic conversation Mm -hmm. are you ready Mm mm-hmm Okay, in your picnic basket, basket. Oh, yeah, in your <laughs> picnic basket. Yes, yeah. 
you load up some bread unsliced critical oh okay just a whole loaf uh some jam some cheese mm-hmm. uh a bottle of wine mm-hmm. two little cups okay you lay out the blanket together together mm-hmm. is key right get everything situated yeah uh you kind of get in a comfy position you lay out all of your foodstuffs mm-hmm. between yeah. you yeah. And then I grab the baguette with my bear claws <laughs> and I rip it into little bite-sized pieces a little bit at a time. But, you know, I take off a hunk and I rip it uh, and right. I make a little snack for my lover. I put some jam mm-hmm. on it, maybe some honey, maybe some cheese, maybe a little salami, a little prosciutto. And I give it to you and then you eat it. That's not a conversation. It's a conversation with our bodies. Ugh. And then, okay, so that sets the stage. That uh-huh. sets the stage. Yeah. And then we can be like sitting in companionable silence, listening to the bees in the babbling brook. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we going to talk about? You don't have nothing to say. Look. That's why you don't know. That's why you don't know what the <laughs> conversation is. You don't have nothing to say. That's why. I was- I was hoping that something would come to me while I was setting the scene of the picnic. <laughs> um, uh huh. Look, man, I don't know. I don't know either. I was hoping you knew. I Maybe think a prairie is a time for snacks and companionable silence. I think a prairie is a time for walking with your hands crossed behind you you know like holding maybe one of your wrists and your other hand behind you and um, gazing out as far as you can see and recognizing how small you are in relation to the prairie you know what i'm realizing what i think i'm visualizing a meadow not a prairie i'm visualizing a prairie have you ever seen a prairie well now i'm thinking of prairie dogs prairie versus meadow okay let's let's get into it Prairies are usually dominated by warm season grasses that grow when the soil and weather are warm, whereas meadows have more cool season grasses that grow in the cooler spring and early summer early summer months. So hmm. they are different. You're imagining, are you imagining green grass? Yeah. And you're imagining brown. Yeah. Interesting. Which is more my, that's my experience of, of prairies in the Midwest. Well, when, when I, now I'm imagining brown. But when I think of meadow, I think of green. Same. I was thinking like a glen situation. So I don't know what a glen is and I won't look it up and I don't <laughs> want to know what it is. But I think it's interesting that you also don't know what you're talking about. So I thought reverie was revelry and you thought a prairie was a meadow. Should we be talking about this poem at all? <laughs> this poem's <laughs> only four lines long. <laughs> Messed up. Every single one of them. I'm Sorry. To your friend. <laughs> Sorry, Serena. Okay, let's get back to, okay, what's the message of this poem uh, saying, doing for you and your life? We're always trying to connect it back to our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, what it's doing for me, now that I know it's not like, you know, like a naked prairie party, which is what I was imagining, that it's just like a, a dreamy contemplation in the prairie what it's doing for me is just reminding me of all the times i've had dreamy contemplations in a prairie which was quite a lot when i lived in wisconsin i would go out to the the arboretum 
and uh just uh wander around uh they got uh trees some places they got i mean it's all kinds of different environments over there but they had a prairie and i would go and walk around this prairie and i would contemplate uh i mean realistically i was probably like thinking about my dissertation but you know i would also contemplate on some level my relative smallness compared to the prairie and how the prairie changes over time and uh you know i'd probably think something like uh well, the last time this prairie got a good burn or something like that and i feel that that sense of calm contemplation that the the experience that i had there i have it with me all the time like i i uh you know i can go back to that state of mind i can go back to that feeling of communion with the prairie or or whatever it is i can experience that whenever i want and i have experienced it outside of the prairie and so i mean i think you know you could write this poem pretty much about anything that you where you enjoy your time or or it evokes a particular state. You can write this about anything where you are invoking a state of mind that is that is some strong association with a particular physical space. Mm. You could you could write it about like your childhood home, you know, or being up on a mountain or something. Mm. That like whatever those feelings are that that experience induces, um, you can experience it whenever you want. So that's what it brings up for me. It brings up uh, for me, the prairie was a place of very sad contemplation. So I was experiencing a lot of sad things, but like, but it was, it was still, it really like created a better quality of sadness that I was experiencing to go out there and kind of be alone with my feelings. And then I would, I would always kind of, when I would go to the Arboretum, I would always come out feeling a little bit renewed. Mm. Um, and so that is what it brings up for me. What about for you? Um, before I, talk about what it brings up for me as um just wanted to respond to what you were saying like like the idea like you said something like it could be about any strong connection to place and I was thinking like oh you know what if this poem was called like to make a childhood home mm-hmm. and all you need is reverie to make a childhood home like you know you can create these like memories and images in your mind of what it means to be a prairie or what it means to have a childhood home or what what it means to make a right, a correct Christmas, you know, like in our family, there's a lot of stress, I think, around Christmas because everyone has this different idea. You know, when they're in reverie thinking about Christmas, it's a very different image for every single person. And those competing images, I think, create a lot of stress around this time. And there was something else that you were saying too. Oh, like, um, you know, what you were saying when you come out of the Arboretum, you always feel refreshed and the the idea of like reverie being a time of processing you know like um, we've talked before about how like prayer and meditation and I think reverie would fall into this too is a time to process and so after you come out of that state of reverie then you're in a better place because you've been able to kind of work through some stuff so I liked I liked what you know, you were saying it brought up some interesting thoughts. I think for me, I think it's like, for me, one thing that it makes me think of is like, you know, every individual has the power to make a difference, you know, and that the way that you were interpreting it before too, you were like, it could be replicating clovers and bees, or it could just be like within one clover and one bee, it's enough to like help you imagine a whole prairie or to help you feel the peace that a prairie would bring you so I like that reading a lot as well but if you read it as like the the replication it's like you know just one bee just one 
clover, just one person with the like belief that something bigger will happen. You know, that's all it takes. And I think that's a really hopeful message um, for people, especially who are, you know, working in fields where they're like, is the work I'm doing like really making any kind of impact? You know, like it's really easy to feel frustrated and like to take the long view. But sometimes you just need a reminder that like it'll happen. Just got to got to keep at it. Give it time. So this is encouraging to you? Yeah. I think it is to me, too. Yeah, like a clover and a bee are so small Mm -hmm. and reverie isn't even like physically substantive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But even things that aren't big can eventually make a prairie which is huge mm-hmm. and even things that aren't tangible can take you to places where you want to go right it's a good message do you have any thoughts on the on both of these poems together mm. i think it's it's interesting to juxtapose them because they're like they evoke different images in your head one is like in a dark brimbly wood with like light seeping in and the other one is like in this open field prairie you know had I not seen the sun regardless of which way you read it I think you know we both read it very differently but there's a lot of heaviness somewhere in there you know whether you start there or you end there um whereas to make a prairie there there isn't that darkness Um, Mm -hmm. how about you how do you see the two kind of pairing together I mean, I think taken together and knowing what reverie means. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of what you I mean, I don't know that I have anything to add besides what you just said, um, you know, about like, had I not seen the sun having, you know, sort of dark and light within the poem, literally. Um, and then to make a prairie being, I think, more conspicuously light. Well, I like them together because they they take you through these these very different modes of experiencing, like these these very different like emotional states. You know, one of like either starting in confusion and ending in light, or you know, starting in light and ending in confusion, and this other which is like this this sort of more quiet uh, contemplative experience. And I mean, like the the first poem I think is like a little more. You said that, well, you said heavy, so I'll say that. I mean. Had I not seen the sun is the heaviness and then like the prairie is like where you would go to process the heaviness. You know, it's mm. like, at least for me, that's what that's what it would be um, going off into the prairie to like be dreamy and and think about all the things that I had experienced. Um, so I like them together because it's it's like, yeah, it's like the, these two very different emotional states. They don't always necessarily go together, but I, I like them together. Yeah. Like one thing that you said, it's like these two poems, they kind of represent different moments in time, Mm -hmm. you know, when something heavy and dark is happening and then later when you're processing it. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, like, what was happening in her life when she was writing these poems or if they were written like in totally different, you know, seasons of her life. Like what if, you know, Had I Not Seen the Sun was written when she was like a, you know, tortured teenager or something. Mm -hmm. And then To Make a Prairie was like, later on you know when she's kind of like processed and like you know come come out the other end or I wonder if like maybe it's the opposite like to make a prairie is when you're like you know naive and full of hope and oh I, I guess I shouldn't equate being naive with being full of hope but like, <laughs> um, you know you're you're really optimistic about the future and you know you see 
the world as a place that's full of opportunity. But then maybe had I not seen the sun is written later on when she's jaded and realized that life is not a sunny patch. It's actually thorny and scary and mysterious. Yeah, totally. You can, you, you can see it in either, bo- both of them in either stage of life. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was like the same day, you know? <laughs> that's, I mean, for me, this would be, this would be a same day. <laughs> like, a lot of highs and lows. Yeah. yeah exactly and you, you have got any, any final thoughts you got oh. any final thoughts my final thought is that i love getting recommendations from readers from not readers oh. listeners that was more or less going to be my final thought which oh, is was it? How much, yeah because this is the first poem that we've read these are the first poems that we've read that i have not that you or i have not chosen Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's a very different experience. I don't have the same like emotional connection to these poems that I do for the ones that I chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, because it's like other people, you know, I don't know. I don't know your friend. You don't know my friend. Um, so it's it's different reading them for you know. And I don't know exactly what about it is different. I have to think about it more. But um, I but I really I really like it. I mean, because this this isn't something I would have come across on my own. Um, and so I liked the the fact that it's coming from someone else you know that our friends have sent them to us that that creates a different relationship to them and so i like it that's my final thought keep keep on sending us stuff yeah we like it so i'm gonna reject my last final thought and just piggyback on the, your final thought um i really think that sending someone a poem is like so lovely you know yeah. i've talked to you before about like i love getting letters like, I would love, like, I love when somebody recommends a book or recommends a poem. Um, I feel like it's really, like, reflective of your relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, and when someone gives you a recommendation that you love, oof. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Nothing better. Nothing yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. You, you ain't got nothing else to say? This is the end nothing. of our podcast? I got nothing. Okay. That's it. We poetried. Emily Dickinson's biography was compiled from emilydickinson.net and poetryfoundation.org. All links will be available in the show notes. We want to thank everyone who contributed responses to our poll about Emily Dickinson. You know who you are. And special thanks to Flavio Arteze for recommending Had I Not Seen the Sun and Serena Mathai for recommending To Make a Prairie. Our music is from Less FM. Do you like what you've heard? Rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and enemies and subscribe so you know when each new episode drops. For questions, comments, concerns, or if you have a poem you'd like for us to discuss, hit us up on Instagram or email us at wepoetried at gmail.com. That's w-e.poe.tried. If you want to keep hearing more episodes like this, you can support Poetry by subscribing to our Patreon linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.